When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps, and today with me I have Zach. I met Zach in another one of my Telegram groups, and he has been a wealth of knowledge um, about homesteading and a bunch of other various topics, but then he had also listened to my first episode and realized that there was a bunch of things that we also had in common that he didn't realize, and that was pretty cool. So he wanted to come on, and he has a bunch of different ideas of what, what he wants to talk about, and I have no idea what those things are, like which one we're going to land on, and I'm super excited. So thank you, Jack, Zach, for joining me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh yeah, sharing some of the synchros that I had when I first heard your first episode. Yep. I mean, the whole time I was listening, I was like, holy crap, that's me, that's me. I know, you were uh, messaging me as you were doing it, and it was so yeah. funny. Yeah, it was really cool. So, um, obviously, you've talked about your uh, arm and thumb deformity. Mm-hmm. I was born with bilateral club feet, both feet. Okay. Um, pretty severe, too. Um, so severe the, to the point that the doctor... Well, let me share this first. So... I was born uh, back in 1982, and while I was at the hospital, you know, I'm born, and they're like, oh, no, he's got club feet. The doctor that invented club foot surgery just happened to be in the hospital that day. Oh, wow. He's like a world traveler, goes to all these seminars and stuff. He just happened to be at this hospital in Massachusetts while I was born. So they, like, rushed him up, um, and he had me in, like, corrective casts, like, like, within hours of me, minutes, probably, of me being born. Oh, wow. Uh, so I got the best care, you know, and I, I stayed with this doctor right through uh, until he passed away, I think, when I was like 16. So um, so I got really good care. I had two sets of surgeries. Uh, the first one when I was maybe 10 months old, and then the second set when I was eight. So I've been through a lot with that. Um, that's always been a struggle as far as, you know, I've, I've been made fun of for running funny, and I've been slow, and I've got chicken legs, so I've got kind of the same kind of hardness that you got from it too, where it's easy to, you can let things roll off your back because you've, you've heard it all. I've heard all yeah. the mocking. 
But I thought that was really interesting because I was listening to you and I was like, holy crap, I had my feet basically looked like little field hockey sticks. Yep. I know this is audio only, so I'm trying to describe it. Like imagine if you're sitting Indian style and your feet are like bent up like that, but your legs are straight. So they're kind of like if I was standing up, I would actually be walking on the, the tops of my feet. That's a really, actually, that's a really good way to visualize that. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have a picture of that because um, I walked at a normal time. I started walking at like nine, 10 months old, but I was walking on the tops of my feet and I would make like the tops of my, or the tops of my socks would get all brown. And my, you know, it was, it was, it was a really interesting uh, thing to have. And I guess my great uncle also had it very similar. Oh, so, it so it's genetic. Definitely, yeah, definitely genetic. That's interesting. Was the great uncle on your mom's dad or on your mom's side or your dad's side? He uh, he was on my mom's side. And was that like the only relative that you could find? That we know of, yeah. My my uncle did some genealogy work on that side of the family and took us way back to England and Wales and all this stuff. But I don't know if they, he was able to find any information on the, the club foot thing. I know my mom has like extremely flat feet, like beyond flat, like almost uh too flat <laughs> like you can make suction cup noises when you walk on the on oh the wow floor. like it's like not like oh i have flat feet but like legitimately medically diagnosed as flat feet like no arch yeah like a lot of people that have quote unquote flat feet had an arch at some point and just through wearing improper footwear or you know not keeping their feet healthy their feet their arches drop and they become flat over time like hers were flat from day one so i'm get I, my guess is that all these were related you know genetically oh yeah Yes. Somehow, somewhere. Yeah. Yep. That's super interesting. When my son was in the womb and we did the first ultrasound, or it wasn't the first one, I guess it was a couple of them down the line once he was developing. Probably the anatomy scan at 20 weeks. I I was like, let me see those feet. Like I had to know. And they look nice and nice arches and everything worked out nice, but I was worried about that for sure. Okay. So I have a question for you because I've heard this from a female perspective. Why were you concerned about him and his feet? And how do you think that would have changed the way you raised him or would it have changed it at all? Um, I was concerned that he was going to have to go through the same things I went through as a kid. And I didn't want him to have to deal with all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I were to have found out that he had club feet in the womb, I could have like set up a doctor, um, started looking into different surgeries because the surgeries have advanced tremendously since I had my surgery. I've got like a foot long, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) (laughs) literally a 12 inch long scar that starts at my big toe uh, on the inseam and goes all the way up to like kind of where your Achilles becomes your calf. Yep. And just goes all the way up the side. They basically opened up my foot like a taco. Nowadays they can do it uh, microscopically or orthoscopic. I don't remember which one it is. Whatever one where they- Smaller scars. Yeah, little tiny yeah. cuts, and they can go in and fix them that way. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I would have done. I would have, you know, lined up a doctor, maybe changed the place where we gave birth to a place that had an orthopedic wing. Okay, okay. Something like that, and, like, kind of just prepared. So, was... So, it was the bones for you that were bowed? Or was it the fact that the muscles were tightened and created the bowing yes it's it's a tendon issue okay first and foremost yeah so it's like your tendons are too short 
so the bones don't straighten out as you're developing. Okay. So it's like your feet, I, I, from what I understand, like most, like when you're in the womb, your feet are clubbed. And then as you grow, they kind of like straighten out and then they pull up like a little baby kind of pulls their feet up. Yep. So a club foot person just like stops. Okay. Before they're fully developed. Okay. Yeah. Cause the reason I ask is like my forearm is actually bowed like a, like a crossbow archer bow bowed. Yeah. You know, gotcha. it's, and it has nothing to do with the tendons. That's why I was trying to ask that question. So it, it was like that. Well, I mean, mine were like that too, but uh, yeah. So I guess that's what I understand. I, I mean, to be frank, I don't know a ton about it, but from what I've been told and overheard from doctors growing up, it was a mostly a tendon muscle thing. Okay. Okay. So see, I know all about the upper part. I don't know much about the lower. So I have all these questions. <laughs> so thanks for uh, entertaining me. <laughs> no problem. I mean, it's basically the, the deformity goes all the way up to my knee. Okay. Um, and I do have a little, I guess I do have a little bit of more bowing in my um, shin bones than most people do. Okay. I didn't even think of that till now, but yeah, there is a little bit of that. And I'm six foot two and I have a 30 inch inseam. So my lower legs are like way shorter than they should yeah, be. Yeah. And I have like a six, four brother and a six, six cousin. So I'm like the short guy at six, two. <laughs> so I, I think without the deformity, I've probably, my legs would have been a little longer, would have, would have been a little taller. Okay. Not that I'm complaining. Six, two is good. Yeah, I know. I was like <laughs> six, two is most guys would kill for that height. So. Yeah, I'm not complaining. It's it's good. <laughs> Did but, you have to yeah. like wear special shoes when you were younger or anything like that? Oh yeah, you name it. I had the work. So I, I had the the um the casts at first and yep. the idea there was that as your bones are still soft, the cast can help kind of straighten things out while they're still forming. And then after the first surgery, or actually no, I think this was before the surgery, I had the two the shoes that were connected with the bar. Yep. Have you seen those? Yep. So yeah, it's just little baby shoes, if you can imagine for the people listening, and just a metal bar that goes between them. And the shoes are basically on the wrong feet. So the left is on the right and the right is on the left. And what it's meant to do is just bend the foot back to a straighter uh, way. Just same thing, same thing you would do if you were like woodworking and you had a warped piece of wood. You'd like put it in a vise and try to bend it back. That's basically how it works. Yeah, my sister, I think because her, I don't think she had like clubbed feet necessarily like with the tendons but she has cerebral palsy so her feet instead of being straight they were turned in like a penguin yeah okay like penguin. or what no maybe it was out either way she had to, like wear these splints on her feet and then you know wear basically wider shoes to try and keep her ankles straight okay yeah gotcha so they're doing the same kind of corrective maneuvers yeah yeah, yeah. and then i had after i graduated from those I just wore these um, basically club foot correction shoes, only they're the ugliest things you've ever seen in your life. They're just these like brown old man shoes. And like all my buddies are wearing sneakers and light up shoes and all that. So actually, I don't think they had light up shoes back then. But anyway, they're wearing cool yeah. Nikes and all this stuff. And I have to wear these like brown, like old man loafers until I was like almost 10 years old. And an interesting thing, I went to this private school when from like K through third grade or so. Okay. And in my class was another kid who also had club feet and he had the same pair of brown shoes, right? So he had a left and a right. I had a left and a right. And I had to wear my left on my right, my right on my left. And sometimes we would go home with like, I would go home with two lefts and he would go with two rights because we had identical shoes, same size. 
and we're kindergartners, so you yeah. know, I have to take them off for recess or whatever. They used to get switched up all the time. Then our parents would have to meet up and, all right, you got one left. Give me that one. I'll, you know. That's was, funny. Yeah, it was. I don't remember that. That's just stories my mom told me. That's funny, though. And, like, what are the chances of a same little boy in your kindergarten class having the exact same thing and the exact same shoes? I mean, there probably wasn't yeah. that many different types of shoes, but still the exact same uh, deformity or difference. Like, I, I know for a fact there was only one model of shoe you could choose from. <laughs> but, yeah, <gasps> considering that it was a really small private school, it was odd that there were two kids with the same thing. For yeah. Sure. Especially in the same grade. Yep. I can honestly say I don't know of any school that I went to even when I went to public school, that there was a kid in any grade that was remotely close to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anyone either. I mean, I've seen something similar to what you have in public, just yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, walking around, but yeah, not in school. Not anyone that I knew personally, anyway. Yeah. So was he the only kid that, like, you knew? And, like, did you guys, like, keep in touch? Because, like, I know with, like, at least upper limb differences um sometimes you're like little groups that'll form or like they'll meet up so did you like stay in touch with this kid or yeah i mean i grew up in a small town so everyone basically stayed in touch by default okay but yeah i knew him all the way through high school and everything oh okay weren't super close or anything but uh his wasn't really uh he never needed surgery or anything for his so his wasn't as severe i think his corrected up pretty nicely gotcha where mine i still have issues to this day i'll have issues the rest of my life for sure yeah, that sucks. Yeah. I don't really have anything else to say beyond it sucks. And Yeah, yeah. It's like every morning I wake up and my feet are sore. Every morning, every, no matter what I do, like it actually takes me a while to be able to put my feet flat on the ground. Like I walk kind of like cupped outward, so uh, supinating, right? Then I yeah, walk like-, like that for like the first hour getting my coffee and all that stuff. My feet are like bent out trying to like ease them into the ground and be able to like put them flat on the ground. So I know I, I, I always joke with my wife, we're going to have to have a, a single story house when we retire. I was like, cause we have a split level now and it's up and downstairs constantly. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, no more stairs when I'm old. <laughs> I mean, there are worse things to want in a house or like more difficult things. Like it's not like you want an in-ground heated pool. You just want no I, stairs. I feel I like that's that doable. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, I feel like no stairs is doable. Yeah, I think that's that's an easy one to fix. Yeah. Yeah, and I know when you go to retire, do you think you would still keep a similar lifestyle as you do now, like with some like the um, gardening and all the other things that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we both grew up in small towns, and we, we want to retire in a small town as well. Um, part of it is because of, we see the way the world is right now, and we see the state of things. So we want to be as far away from any major city as humanly possible but also not be like a recluse that lives in the woods by themselves either yeah. like the get off my property types like <laughs> i mean i will do that don't get me wrong but you know we want to some sense little, of community yeah like a little town with a library and a little coffee shop you know um something like that but i definitely want to be able to garden until i can't move anymore that's for sure you know, part do you of have... that is go ahead no no go ahead I was going to say part of that is just it's becoming a necessity these days where it was a hobby for me for years. And I was like, oh, cool. We got a few tomatoes. Awesome. Now it's like I'm crunching the numbers. I'm like, how many uh, quarts of tomatoes did we get? How many things of squash did we get? And, how, you know, how much is that going to save us at the grocery store? And I'm doing all the math. 
you know, if, if I get this many deer, uh, that's X amount of money uh, off our grocery bill. So it's becoming like, it went from a hobby or hobbies, hunting, fishing and all that stuff to like, this is how you're going to feed your family going forward in a lot of ways. Yeah, I know one of my uncles was a big hunter and I've never, never hunted, not opposed to it, just never done it personally, um, want to, but I don't know like what the permits look like in the state of Connecticut. Uh, I know like Michigan, where I'm from deer season is a big thing. Like the opening day of deer season to the point that like a lot of the smaller towns, even like some of the suburbs, the school started giving it off because everyone would be (laughs) sick the first day of deer season. I've heard of that. Unfortunately, the first day of deer season in New York is always Saturday, so we don't get that privilege, but at least I have the day off work that day every year. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I don't, I don't remember when it is in Michigan. I just remember like all the guys would just be gone. (laughs) Yeah. I don't blame them. The meat's delicious. I've never, I had venison a couple times and I was not a huge fan. Like I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I would, I would be willing to guess that they didn't know what the heck they were doing when they cooked it. Cause I've been to other hunters house when they just cook the shit out of it and dry it out. And it's a very, very precise meat to cook because there's no fat on it. Yeah. So there's like a 30 second window between medium rare and like brick. So, I cooked it. I'd gotten some venison from like the Sorry, local. I didn't mean to insult. <laughs> no, 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 no. So like, I don't. I've never cooked venison. So I was. Right, and it right. was just ground venison. So I cooked right. it up like hamburger meat. And yeah. so, and I was just going to make it into like a taco. I think is how I made it. Yeah. Um And it wasn't. Like I said, it wasn't bad, but it was just. It was almost gamey. I guess. Yeah, I think that gamey flavor is either a love it or hate it. Like I love the gamey flavor that okay. and I think I was introduced to that flavor from lamb. Lamb kind of okay. has that same earthy kind of tones when you eat it. Uh, it's very distinguished. Like uh, it's very distinguished. What's the word I'm looking Distinctive. for? Distinctive. That's the word. Um, venison similar. It almost tastes like the woods in a way. And there's some people that just can't get over that flavor and they're never going to like it. So that you could be in that camp where other people are like, I want to know every meat that has that flavor because I love it like elk and moose and and basically anything with hooves in the woods so i've had elk and i liked elk yep. and i know my uncle who's a hunter he's like a phenomenal like cook and baker and like would and i don't like bacon i know my bacon gene is broken but he would make like these this candied jalapeno jelly and like put ba- like bacon and i don't know people Ooh. raved about it like Sounds this guy amazing. Is, and my dad was never big with deer but he's like when your uncle cooks it i really like it so I think to your point, it's all about how you cook it and knowing how to cook it. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of it. And I know because I do a lot of venison tacos and one of the big things you have to do is put like a, an entire stick of butter in a pound of venison because like oh. I said, there's no fat in it at all. So when you're cooking it up, it can just, you has to have some sort of oil to bind to so that it can draw in those flavors of the chili powder and all that stuff. Yeah. I just kept adding water. Okay. Good to yeah. know. Butter next time. All right. Yeah, lots of butter. Okay, I, I like butter. I'm, I'm willing. Listen, I'm willing to learn. <laughs> but there... it took me a lot of trial and error too. Trust me, this is I think my 17th year hunting. So oh wow, I had a lot of crappy meals I cooked early on too. Do you how, do you hunt on your own property? Or like, do you go on other people's property or all of the above? So I have a few acres of my own, and my property butts up to more woods 
that okay. I don't own, but I have uh, rights to use. Okay. So it belongs to somebody else who I know who's let me go on mm -hmm. it whenever I want. Um, but it's also Forever Wild, New York State Land. So he can't do anything with it. It's just kind of this extra chunk on the end of his like 60 acres. Um, so I kind of have that area that I can I can use and hunt. So, but I don't do anything beyond bow behind my house just because it's there's other houses around that I'm. Fair. I think I could I think I could legally shoot a gun because it's the 500 feet rule. You have to be 500 feet from. Yeah. But it's kind of sketchy, so I don't. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. It was all day long, so I have taken some deer in my backyard, and then I have two other properties of friends of mine that I have permission to go on their land and hunt as well. But now that's kind of rare. Most people hunt uh, state land, which can be a shit show when everybody from the city comes up blasting off, and yeah, it can be it can be crazy out there. Is there a difference between like? And I, I'm gonna try and describe this here because I know nothing about bows. I just know there's one that's like easier to pull and one that's harder to pull, right? Yep. Okay. Well, there's. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. So. I was in Utah in 2019 at like this adaptive camp for women and I used a bow briefly and they taught me how to, they put like some adapter on it and I was mm. actually able to draw it with my back molars. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen that actually. Oh, sorry. My alarm's going off. Oh, you're good. Fixed it. Right. And um, I've always wanted to learn what that bow was and how to do it again. But whenever I would like go to like, best pro shop or somewhere around here they'd be like you can't do that and i'm like no i literally did it i know there's a way i just don't even know what the bow is called to try and ask the proper question hmm did the bow have multiple strings and like these big circle cams on each end i think so yeah okay, i could so probably find a picture of me doing it and send it to you and that might help definitely because i could help you figure out something but that okay. would be called a, a compound bow okay so essentially those cams act as pulleys and when you pull that string back it gets to a point where the pressure is taken off so you can sit there with the bow drawn without holding the full weight of the bend of the bow yes yes yeah, yeah. so those are the most common hunting ones for sure because you can draw and sit there for 30 seconds a minute while the deer gets into position and then release okay the harder more badass way to do it would be a recurve or a longbow and that's okay. just a stick with a string on it essentially so those are what you'd see indians using in the cowboys and indian movies or native americans whatever the correct pc term is and uh so there's a longbow which is just a, a bent stick yeah and then the recurve one it, it's a bow and then on each end the, they flare out towards the front so that would be like what you'd see on like lord of the rings the elves use recurves okay so they're 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 a little more accurate. I think they're you can get a, a higher draw from a shorter bow in those. What does that mean? So with the long bow, if I wanted to shoot a forty pound pull, I would have to have a certain length bow, which is pretty long. Okay. But I can I can fit that same forty pounds in a shorter recurve bow. So it's a little more okay. compact. Okay. Easier to wield, things like that. Yeah, I yeah. know nothing. So like my questions may seem super simple, but I'm like this is all new to me. This is a whole yeah. new language. For me, for, what I would recommend for you is I would get a crossbow with a hand crank. Because okay. you can do that all day long with one hand, no problem. Okay. And that's basically just, it's just literally a hand crank. So you basically crank the um, the string back into the into the cocking position yep. with a little, you know, clickety-clack 
uh, yeah, yeah. crank and then the bow is drawn the whole time you have the 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 with the crossbow it's called a bolt not an arrow so you'd slide the bolt in and then you could sit you could probably rest the front of it on your uh, weaker arm yeah and then aim with your other arm get it up into position and then snipe a deer with it it'd be cool to watch you do that actually <laughs> <laughs> listen you may i may have to come up and like you'll have to teach me or something yeah, absolutely we're not far you're only two hours from me probably yeah yeah but less than three uh, that much i can probably guarantee yeah so, definitely less than three aren't there some states where like there's restrictions on crossbows yes you would be but like i be, could get one be, because i'm get, disabled yeah every state has the disability waiver no no problem okay because I, rem- I remember something about that a, a crossbow season a lot of states now have crossbow seasons okay usually it's like it goes bow season first and then you get a little mini window of crossbow season that's like two weeks long and then it goes into rifle okay and, and then that's just York, for deer goes, yeah d- this is just for deer t- typically because okay. that's the primary um hunting animal in this area but people okay. also hunt turkey and small game and things like that too but Do those seasons I, are all different isn't there one like black powder too yep so black powder usually is at the end of rifle season Okay. And that's the funny thing is with black powder is that the way they operate now, they're basically shooting a modern rifle. You're not like, like biting off your powder horn and like dumping it. Yeah. Yeah. Like on the Revenant or something. It's like, it's a preloaded cartridge that you just open up the end and pop it in. So it's an extra step, but it gives you a couple extra weeks of hunting season. So I'm not going to knock it. I just remember going up into the upper peninsula in Michigan. I think I was in getting my bachelor's and I, I was with an ex-boyfriend and like going up with him and his brother and his dad and they were doing like black powder and i just sat in this cabin and yeah that's the only <laughs> well, reason i know the name of that yep yeah so yeah that's cool i mean it's 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 a little tougher i don't think the range is as long but i could be wrong about that so maybe it's you know if you could get a 200 yard shot with a normal modern rifle maybe that's only 100 with the black powder okay yeah that'd be my guess i know there are a little bit more difficult and you can't just like and you know it's not semi-automatic or anything like that so if you take a shot and miss now you got to sit and fiddle and reload okay it's, okay an extra element of um difficulty to it okay i can see that if you had to pick one what would be your favorite way to hunt i know you said on your property it's the bow but like if there you had unlimited land unlimited resources for anything bows bullets whatever if you had to pick one, what would it be? I always lean towards a crossbow. That's my favorite okay. weapon. Okay. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, what Because it's point and click, I, I can zero in the scope. So I know exactly where the arrow is going to go. Granted, there's no wind or any other factors. Mm-hmm. It's going to go pretty much where I put the, um, put the crosshairs on. So that's nice. The other nice thing is you get a little bit more range than you do with a recurve or a compound. Not quite as much as you would with a rifle, not even close to as much as you would with a rifle. But what I like about it, because I love being out in nature and I love the the quiet and stillness, I can shoot a deer with a crossbow and hardly make any noise at all. And it doesn't disturb the whole forest. Okay. So if you take a shot with a rifle, you're done for that day. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, it's happened where people have gotten a second one, but you know, you're just blasting off this one, the, the whole forest just hears it and all the neighbors hear it and it just... You know, the, the crossbow gives that nice, peaceful thunk. And uh, 
you don't disturb the whole woods. So I like it a lot. Plus, in a survival situation, like in the shit hits the fan kind of thing, you're not yep. making a lot of noise. This is true. Not drawing attention true. to yourself, too. This is very, very true. But definitely not quick reload. That's for sure. Okay. Unless you get a weaker... Pro, uh, unless you're a really strong dude and you've got kind of a weaker uh, bow that you can put your foot in the stirrup and just kind of yank and click it into place. Most of them require some sort of cocking mechanism that acts as like a pulley, so you're you're pulling less of the weight. Okay. So if you can imagine like a string being doubled back. Yep. So you're yeah you're you know how pulleys work. So if you go double back once, you're pulling fifty percent of the weight. That's how most of the cocking me- mechanisms work. Okay. But yeah, they're fun. They're a blast to shoot too. It just feels like you're like up on the turrets of like a castle in England, like blasting redcoats or something. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I can see the allure for most guys based on that description. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Every time my buddies come over, they always want to shoot the crossbows. That's funny. So what other synchronicities did you notice listening to my episode? Or I know there was like a bunch of things you also wanted to talk about. So like, take your pick. Well, cause... I was thinking about this all day and I was like, okay, I have a zillion topics I could cover because you're, you're in my group. You know how I can just rant on stuff and I get something in my head and I just, I just go. I could do that a million different ways. But I thought because it's called Speed Bumps and I've listened to some of your other episodes, I thought I would bring up um, my issue with misophonia. I'm not sure if you know what misophonia is. Are you familiar? I do. I do. But for people who don't, please tell them what it is. Sure. So the best way to describe it is the original name that it had. The original name was called 4S, which is Selective Sound Sensitivity Syndrome, which is a mouthful. And I can see why they went to misophonia. However, I don't think misophonia describes what it is very well because misophonia just means fear of sound. Which I get because there are certain sounds that, um, what's the word, like manifest, I guess, manifest a a fear response or a fight or flight response. Those are usually the two most common. So uh, typically, most people that suffer from misophonia, it deals around human bodily noises. So sniffing, snorting, um, chewing by far is the most common. So like chewing on chips smacking on bubble gum, crunching ice with your drink, those sounds like I, I can't even describe the way they make me feel like I want to like strangle somebody, punch them in the face, or typically I run. I'm a, I'm a flight person when it comes to chewing noises. I'm just out of that room. If I see somebody like walk into the bag of chips, I don't even let them get to the first chip. I'm gone. Like just out of there. I have a very extensive collection of noise canceling headphones for this reason. Um, excuse me real quick. No, no, you're good. So it's, f- this out, but I have to cough really bad. <laughs> oh, excuse me. No, you're good. Yeah. I'm going to make a note of that one. <laughs> okay. So, so this, this, I guess you'd call it a malady or I don't know if I call it a disease. Cause it's not really a disease. It's definitely mental. Uh, so they've actually done some studies on it in England and they found that People that suffer from misophonia, a different part of their brain lights up when they're exposed to these trigger noises. So they got like, you know, 100 people, 50 of them have misophonia, 50 of them don't. I'm just making these numbers up just for argument's sake. Um, and they, 
hooked them up to the brain scanning machines, whatever they're called, mm-hmm. and they played triggering noises. Um, they played triggering noises in their ear. So, fifty percent of the people, whatever, yeah, that's a little annoying. Somebody chewing gum in my ear. The other fifty percent of the people had this like the same response they would see if somebody like dropped a cobra in your lap or like put a tarantula on your face, like these extreme severe reactions in the brain and that's always a good way to describe it when somebody asks me how it feels i'm like well what's your biggest fear and they're like oh i'm scared of spiders i'm like okay imagine somebody put a tarantula on your face so it's not you're not annoyed (laughs) it's not that you're annoyed it's you actually have a fear response yeah it's a it's a fear response or i mean they say fight or flight because the flight i guess would be fear and then the fight would be anger so it's a combination of fear and anger I know what happens. Yeah. And some people say there's, it's a flight fight or freeze too, is the other F that sometimes gets thrown in there too. Yeah. I don't think freeze applies to misophonia. I've never heard of anyone in the forums I ever talked to that are like, I can't move when I hear it. It's like, all they want to do is move. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. It's just get out of that situation as much as you can. Is this something that you've had like since a kid or like, did you, were you in the military and like after serving in the military or like, when did this start? It's been as long as I can remember. I think okay. the first couple of triggers that I can remember were like age five or six. Okay. So even to the point, like my dad worked construction. He worked at, he was a foreman for this uh, cement company. Mm-hmm. And he used to bring me home those old school 1980s, like earmuffs that they would wear to drive the forklifts and all that uh, for dinner. So I would wear those during dinner a lot. Uh, and it, it was like that. I mean, it's like, yeah. So yeah, it goes back as far as I can remember. And it's gotten progressively worse as I gotten older. Like I have a longer list of triggers and the triggers trigger me more. So like when I was a kid, I don't remember like I'd, I'd be in lunch, you know, in the cafeteria with my buddies. And I don't remember their chewing really bugging me all that much. It, it bugged me, but not to the point it does now. Okay. There's no way I could have even been in that room at, at age 40. <laughs> That's so interesting. So one of the things that's standing out to me is you mentioned, did you just have the one surgery when you were 10 months old? I had one when I was 10 and one when I was eight years old, 10 months old and eight years old. So I know that they say that like going under anesthesia can affect everyone differently. Mm-hmm. And how you say like in elementary school, you kind of remember like being annoyed ish, but it wasn't you know the same thing you have now. I yep. wonder if something when you went under anesthesia like mess with your brain. That's a total possibility. However, the conspiracy guy in me thinks it's vax related, vax damage. Okay. And I'll give I, you I my mean, reasoning. Nope. I'm all ears. Cause I can see that too. So this disease or this condition, I would call it didn't even have a name until about 2010. Okay. The amount of sufferers is growing since the eighties, nineties, two thousands, like, um, there's more and more people that are being diagnosed with it. Now, part of that is just, they didn't have a diagnosal diagnosal tool back then. Fair. So that's part of it, but it's not something that was common that you could read about in history books or anything like that. You know, it's not something that was like, Oh, that, you know, the ancient Egyptians <laughs> didn't like when yeah. they were chewing yeah. or whatever. It, it's something that's kind of a modern thing. You can only really only find it in modern times. And I could see it because it's a neurological what if it's from infant vaccines? You know, it totally could be. I have no way to back this up at all. Not any more than somebody backing up vaccines and autism. 
but that's always been my theory is that it's a vax damage thing i could see that i could definitely see that and they're never the types of studies that you're looking for will will never be done because there's no money in those right so i mean yeah and if you know it just takes one or it could be the cumulative effect of all of the ones that you needed you know to get through school and things like that there's also another factor that i've so i've done some um some surveys in some of the misophonia groups that i've been in over the years there is a higher percentage of left-handed people which i am interesting yeah so i was trying to think of things that i have that are not misophonia related and i asked in the group in the poll like how many of you have this, this, and this? And left-handedness was like, I think commonly it's what, 5 to 8%? Yeah, and amongst the misophonia, it was like 30, 30 to 35%. Oh, wow. So, what about like a male to female ratio? Mostly women, actually. More women than men. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Is there a race or ethnicity? Ethnic? Um, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Well, I'll tell you in this kind of backs up what i was saying about the vaccines it's only in developed countries from what i can tell so there's a lot of people in europe there's a lot of people in the united states um and that's it i don't i can't think of any other major countries or any other continents that i've actually met misophones from but okay so obviously in the u.s you could be black white asian hispanic everything in between so did that ever play a part because like obviously african americans are more are the only ones who really can get sickle cell right so um, i don't know i didn't ask the race question because i was on okay. reddit i didn't want to get booted <laughs> fair enough fair enough um but i did i've seen some documentaries on it and it seems pretty random like okay there's one major one called quiet please and if anyone wants to learn about this at all i highly recommend that documentary it's really good, but it's not free unless somebody's ripped it onto YouTube since it came out. But it really just gives you an idea of what sufferers go through. So if you know somebody in your family and you're like, this is so weird, I'm just chewing a chip. Why are they freaking out at me? If you watch that movie, it helps a lot. So I definitely recommend that. So how does this work with, uh, so you mentioned earlier you have a son. How does that work with like, him playing or because i don't know what your triggers are so like him playing or like you guys having a family dinner like how do you or like going out to a restaurant like do you guys even ever go out to restaurants i rarely go i cannot stay in restaurants they give me super anxiety for obvious reasons just if yep like there's times when it'll be okay like if i'm sat next to a wall and i'm away from people it could be okay but then all of a sudden the plate that i don't keep an eye on what people are getting if the table next to me all of a sudden has a huge plate of nachos coming, I'm like, oh, great, here we go. I do carry noise-canceling headphone earbuds everywhere I go. So if I'm in a situation where I can't leave or if something starts triggering me, I can just pop those in. And my family understands it com- completely. Mm-hmm. My wife and son are awesome about it, actually. Like, really, really understanding. They're really good at, like, say they bust open some chips or some popcorn. Um, my son will be like, hey, Dad, I'm eating some popcorn. You might want to get your headphones or I'll just come down to my office. I'm in my office now. So I'm kind of below. They're all up there. Okay. So um, I can just come down here and play on my computer, rant on Telegram <laughs> while they're uh, while they're eating their chips and chewy stuff. And then as far as dinner, we only, mostly eat in the living room so we can have TV on in the background. Okay. So background noises help a lot. Like a, a, 
if we're at a restaurant, a really loud bar style one is better. Okay. It's like a background, it kind of drowns out the chewing noises. Um, and then if I need to, like, depending on what we're eating, I'll, I'll put a headphones on while, while we eat as well. Is it sounds that others make or you make as well? Like, can you eat chips? I can eat chips without bugging me, which is one of the mysteries of this thing. Okay. And like dogs and cats slurping on their food doesn't bug me 90% of the time. Sometimes it will. It's really odd. It's a, it's a mysterious thing. And some people say a lot of misophones will report that loved ones actually trigger them more than random strangers. I, I think I, I fight. I think I figured that one out though. I think it's because, and it's un, it's your, it's irrational, but you feel like they're trying to hurt you. Like they're doing it so that like, if somebody, like I said, if somebody comes up and throws a tarantula on you, it would be like that. Like, why, why would you do that? You know? So it's almost like, it's almost like they, they, uh, uh they, they broke your trust or something like that, where a random stranger has no idea you have misophonia. So, yeah, it's almost like they know when they're doing it on purpose, like not yes. that they actually are, but it can have that thought process. Yeah, it's like the reptilian brain triggers. Yeah. That. yeah, yeah. So you're not really thinking it in your head that they're doing this to hurt you, but it feels like that. It's so, and you can tell me to f off, and this is none of my business, but. Do you have any, because some of this sounds like some of the traits, like some people who are, have, who have autism, where they have a lot of sensory disorders, where they can't, you know, they have to have certain fabrics or they don't like tags or Mm -hmm. certain sounds. And, you know, obviously you're sitting here having a conversation with me, but you've seen either kids in real life or, you know, on shows where a sound happens, you know, they put their hands over their ears and they kind of just start rocking back and forth. And I, you know, I don't think you're that but it makes me wonder if there's somehow a connection between the two and do you have any other like almost like high functioning asperger's autistic like qualities Hmm. i mean it's hard to look at myself and say but i definitely am so okay so i've thought about this and i've wondered if like if we look at the scale of autism let's say you got everything from a zero to a hundred so a zero Mm -hmm. would be a normal functioning person with no autistic qualities a hundred would be like nonverbal severe autism yeah and then you got everything in the middle yeah what if we're just not diagnosing enough like what if there's steps that are like 10 percent of asperger's or like these very much like what if that's what adhd is which i definitely have okay what if that is like i'm i'm fully able to have conversations i'm i can laugh and make people joke around yeah, and all yeah. that stuff the stuff normal people do but what if like like we kind of draw the line at Asperger's like, oh, that's the most, you know, that's it. That's like the, the most mild. But what if well, there's a hundred more stages beyond that, including misophonia? Well, and I mean, that's a really good point. And now, I, if I remember correctly, like Asperger's isn't even a technical diagnosis anymore. But really? yeah, but also I know females who have autism present very differently than males. Yes, that's very true. So females, you know, they tend to be more OCD. They tend to be, um, they're they're not loud. They can be really quiet, but they can get very hyper-focused on something. Um, Whereas, you know, a boy can be totally different. He has the more of the typical autistic traits. And so that's why I asked about the misophonia piece of, we already know that males and females can present differently. So what if this is just a phase of it or a stage of it or yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's a spectrum. Yeah. That's what I, I, that's what I think too. So like maybe having 
ADD mixed with misophonia is like a two on the scale of yeah. one to a hundred, you know, where Asperger's might be a 10 or a 12. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've told my husband, so I'm- well, I should go on 4chan now because I'm officially an autist, right? <laughs> Listen, I've- I mentioned to my husband, this was probably a couple months ago, and I literally asked him or told him, I was like, I feel like I'm very, very mildly autistic because I can't read sarcasm hmm. in person through a text. Forget about it. But like, yeah, even in person, it. he'll make a joke and I'll completely think he's serious. I think my stepdaughter's being serious. Like, I don't understand jokes and I'll just stare at you. And I've literally, I've had to ask now, like, is that a joke? Like, I, I don't understand sarcasm. Yeah. And I have like little, these little itty bitty qualities that to your point, I don't think classifies me as being your quote unquote typical autistic, mm. but these little things, like what if it's a one or a two? Right. I think, I think that's true. And I think the, the maybe the more time goes on, the more that definition will, the, the, it'll expand to include other things. If I can get some of that sweet federal money for my autism, that'd be cool. Get myself a couple new crossbows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that it's funny because I've been told I could go on full disability. I was told I can go on full disability at eighteen. Yeah, I've been told the same thing. Because of your feet? Yeah, because of my feet. Yep. And and I was like I always wonder, I'm like, what if I did that though? And I'm like, they see me out hiking or something, because I hike all the time. Yeah. Like I'm fully mobile. Yeah. So is there really going to be like an insurance guy with binoculars in the woods being like, I saw him hiking? Like, so. Or is that more insurance fraud, I guess? That's more insurance fraud. But from my understanding, if you go on like full disability, there is no taking it back. You Mm. can't um, have more than a certain amount in your bank account. And I know this because my sister is on disability because she has three policy. I listened to this episode today with the other guy you were talking to. Yeah. And so. You know, I never, I've never taken him up on their offer, but yeah. it, it's almost like, I feel like if you get into a really bad car accident, for example, or whatever, okay, and you really mess up your back, you're almost forced to go on this permanent disability, but then that's how you become a drug addict right? and a pill popper, right? Right. And then you're just relying on the system, but the system won't help you because, And you I have no incentive to try to get better. Right. Yeah, it's like, hey, push me around my, put, you know, let me get my hub around and drive around the, the Walmart because right, and you get your free, I'm getting this sweet government check. Yeah, and you get your free pills and you get your free weed and you get your free this and your free that and your free housing and why not? Wait, did you say free weed? Maybe I will go on this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it, I was talking to Shane about it and apparently because he grows, he's in a grow facility in Michigan, and oh, apparently nice. all the regulated stuff now is all shit. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I grow, I grow my own. own. Yeah, I, I, I allegedly grow my own for that reason. You know, I grow my own vegetables because I don't want the, the store-bought ones. And I saw it from day one once they started legalizing stuff. I'm like, they're just going to spray this crap with pesticides. They're going to GMO the crap out of it. So, yeah, it's better just to grow your own everything. Well, yeah, and I saw a bag in the store recently of, and it's not some conspiracy theory. They're putting crickets in shit now. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And it's not GMO anymore. It's called a bioengineered food. <laughs> that almost sounds scarier than GMO. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I, see, the thing is, I don't even pay attention to that stuff much anymore because we just don't buy that crap anymore. Yeah. I'm not saying I eat perfectly. I, I had two Reese's peanut butter cups earlier today, so I'm not some saint. But I would say 
75% of our food is like meats and vegetables. Yeah. And and oils, you know, whatever, not seed oils, but and when, when we grow, when I go grocery shopping and I always tell people to do this and I'm not, I didn't originate this idea, but shop the outside. Yep. You're, you're going to shop the vegetables and fruits. You're going to go back to the, the deli counter, maybe skip some of the deli meats, but they're not as bad as they, they, that people say, but that's a topic for another day, but you're going <gasps> to shop the fish counter. You're going to shop the meat counter. You're going to go to the dairy section. And if you don't have your own chickens and stuff, um, yep get some yogurt, whatever, and then go, go out. And the only thing you should really be getting in those middle aisles is maybe some spices, um, maybe some good pasta here and there, but you know, like flour, like, yeah, stuff to bake your own food with. And yeah. I think a lot of people, so many foods I believe were developed for the, the boomers to be lazy. Yes. Like instant Mac and cheese. I boil the noodles. I dump the powder in, I put milk in and it's done right. Where you can make, and you saw the mac and cheese I yeah. posted. I built, I made that from scratch in 30 minutes. Like that's as long as it takes to almost make a, you know, you could probably make a mac and cheese, a craft mac and cheese in 20. Yeah. So for 10 more minutes, I melted cheese with some, with some milk, some raw milk, boiled some noodles, threw it together, threw it in the oven with some cheese on top. Boom. Mac and cheese. Um, so I think a lot of it is how can I make this easier, quick, convenient. And then that morphed into, okay, we've made it quick, easy, and convenient. How do we make it cheaper? Oh, yeah. well, we can substitute the sugar for corn syrup. We can substitute, oh, oh, it's not lasting long enough on the shelf. What do we do? Oh, we can just put this chemical in it and now it'll last two months instead of one month. And, and then we, and we make another five cents on each box. So times that the last 50, 60 years, and we have these Franken foods out there that are just unrecognizable as anything you should ever consume. But you, know, you, you look around at grocery stores and that's what people have their carts full of. Oh yeah. Disgusting. Yeah, I don't – when we go – okay, so I do the grocery shopping in the house. Um, my husband's, like, vice is Pepsi, so whatever. <laughs> like I was a big Mountain Dew guy back in the day. Pick it, he, so he used to do both. I got him to go, just go down to Pepsi, like, baby steps here. Um, but for the most part, I bake our own bread. Uh, nice. We have a friend who has her own chicken, so I get my eggs from there. Um, I get raw milk from a local dairy. Awesome. Like, we buy our ch- – raw we buy a five pound block of raw cheddar and we shred the cheese like it doesn't take that much longer to shred your own cheese and it's not full like they basically put sawdust in there to prevent the cheese shreds from clumping so you might as well just shred your own i'm glad you said that because i was just about to cut you off and say did you know that they put binders in it and that's why it doesn't taste as good yeah it's disgusting and it takes five seconds yes and it's one what it is is it's one more dish to wash so they're like, oh, if I just if I buy it shredded, first of all, you're paying about double per pound, right? Easily, easily. Um, and it's full of literally, like you said, sawdust. And then, oh, but I don't have to wash the shredder at the end. You know, it's that one little quicker. Listen, step. if I could find a greater shredder, whatever you want to call it, that I can use, anybody can do it. Oh, that's right. What do you do for shredding cheese? So it's literally just I. I it's on my to-do list, like a list of all the things I do one-handed because mm. they're not crazy modifications, right. but it's just more of like a like a rectangle-ish kind of one. Yep. And the handle on top is just bigger, so it's able to just rest my left hand on top. Oh, gotcha. As opposed to just like a flat one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had those growing up. And you, like it fills up the center and then you yeah. lift it up and it all comes out. 
Yeah, so and yeah, the, yeah. the handle's not hollow, it's solid, you know, so it doesn't hurt when I press down on it because I can't actually grip it. Um, but that's it. You know what you should look at? We've got these upstairs. I think they are even Pampered Chef. They're little, like, plastic containers, and the lid is a grater. And they have rubber grippers on the bottom. Okay. So, like, you can do it with one hand on a countertop, and the rubber grippers on the bottom of the thing would it kind of hold it in place. Oh, nice. And you can just do that, and then... Whatever you don't use, like we use that when we're doing tacos and stuff, because if you don't use up the cheese, you can just put the lid on it, throw it in the fridge. So you've got ready to go shredded cheese. Yeah. I'll post a picture of them for you. Yes, please. Yeah. My favorite thing is um, instead of using like the cloth oven mitts that, you know, if you reach something in the hot yeah. pads or whatever you call them, yeah. I have silicone square ones. So oh, they're, okay. I use them in the oven, but then because they're silicone or rubber, I can put a bowl or whatever on it and it doesn't move on the counter. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Like, little things that, yeah. Little things. Well, what would you say? Can I, can I be the interviewer for a minute? Sure. What would you say is your most difficult, like everyday normal task given your disability? Something that like the average person would be like, not even think of. Probably drying my hair. Oh, I never even thought of that. <laughs> um, so like I could, I can like flip it upside down and do like the twisty thing that like you see the girls do with the towel on their head. Yeah, my wife does that move. Um, but my hair is so fine it like breaks it. Mm. So and I can't like take the towel and like rub my hair dry. So my husband actually dries my hair for me. Nice. That's what's nice about having a husband. Yes. Well, I don't. I have a wife, but <laughs> <laughs> a spouse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is nice being able to tag team stuff. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. I was curious when I heard when I was first listening to your uh, thing. I was like, okay, I could understand driving. You could probably there's probably modification. Do you have modifications on your car? No modifications on my car. I've um, considered a suicide knob. I think that's what they're called. Oh yeah, Um, yeah. I have one of those on my lawn tractor. Yeah, I've like considered that, but I really don't need it. So, like, the best way I can describe it is my index finger like kind of comes out and acts as a thumb and so i kind of hold the steering wheel that way oh yeah i can see it in the video there i see what you're saying yeah i know we're on audio only but i get the drift yeah i mean i mean the audience is on audio yeah 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 yeah. they'll figure it out it's fine yep if you're that curious you can message me on instagram and i'll send you a picture of me holding a steering wheel like as long as you're not a devotee i'll tell you i know you don't want to go down that road but i would recommend them they're really fun it's changed my whole mowing experience it's just like it's super cool they used to use them and truckers used to use them and they made them illegal i think that's why they were called suicide knobs because i think truckers would kind of just hold them with two fingers okay you know and they would and then you know something would happen like a kid would run out in the middle of the road or something and they they weren't able to react fast enough i'm just guessing i'm not a trucker so maybe a trucker could chime in but yeah i know i have a friend she recently got it wasn't just like a regular suicide knob put on hers though it like also controlled her um like her blinkers and her windshield Mm -hmm. wipers and things like that and so i mean that's another thing like driving isn't hard but if i have to do my windshield like my windshield wipers have to be on the right side because i literally won't buy a car if they're on the left because it's weird to like reach my right hand over and twist the knob so i'll only have the blinker on the left hand side yeah that makes sense i've actually excluded cars simply based on that fact I, I could totally see that. 
I don't even, yeah, I guess you're right. I have had them on both sides. I don't even see That's something I wouldn't even think about. <laughs> yeah. And it's like little shit. Like, like the only time my, I have to deal with that is if I'm like trying to drink a seltzer or something and I'm like trying to steer with one hand. Right. Or yeah. That's crazy. So, um, I was trying to think of where I was going before I asked you that. I had a thought, but now I lost it. So I, guess I don't I'll know. We on. were talking about autism and, uh, oh, and all the crap and foods, all the crap and foods and all the fillers. And oh, the... that was what I was going to ask. Yeah. So now that I'm uh, interviewing you a little bit are, and cause I know you're in my, my group on telegram where we talk about prepping and mm-hmm. survival things and all that. Um, are, have you gotten into that at all? Have you started to put some food storage away and water filtration, things like that? Yep. Uh, food storage, taught myself how to can, taught myself how to make sourdough bread. Um, awesome. You know, even tonight, we, I try, we're trying to do this thing where we really don't buy any groceries for a month unless it's like eggs and milk and like yep. the perishables that aren't going to last. Um, and so I had left over basically plain rice and some canned carrots that I'd canned last year. So that was part of dinner. And then I had some meat in the freezer that I threw in the crock pot. And so I didn't have to like go to the grocery store for anything. Nice. Um, trying to like quote unquote live off your pantry or live off the freezer stuff that we have and see how long that would last. Um, we have a Berkey for a filter. I know some people, there's some controversy on the Berkey filters, but we like ours and it works for us. <laughs> I think I know where that controversy comes from. So what you're referring to is how some people with Berkey's have had some water tested and there was like extra lead in it or aluminum or something like that, like higher, higher levels than what went in. So the implication is that the filter was leaching Mm -hmm. something into the, the water. And if you, if you read up on it a little bit more, you can kind of dig through, you'll notice that there's a ton of counterfeit Berkey's out there, especially on Amazon. Yeah, and counterfeit um, like filters and stuff. Right. I would like to see a study done to really kind of bury the hatchet with that, where they get some directly from Berkeley or Berkey, like Berkey reaches out and be like, these are authentic ones I'm shipping to you. Yep. Do it again. Get them tested again. So I only buy mine. I have a Berkey as well. I have the little okay. travel one, but um, I only get them directly from the Berkey website. I won't order them from Amazon at all. Yeah, we, we got everything from the Berkey website. So yeah, you should be but, good then. Yeah. I haven't even, I'll be completely honest, and I probably should, but I have never even used my Berkey. It's just a prep. So I got the unit free from a friend um, without any filters. So I had to buy, was it 200 bucks to get the filters for it? I literally didn't even open the, 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 the filters at all. I left them in the package. I put everything away in my closet because that's, that for me, that's like, if I start using it now, you know, I don't need it now. I've got a reverse osmosis system underneath my okay. sink that works great. Uh, it's got a remineralizer for those concerned about, you know, stripping minerals out of your cells. Uh, and and I also use some of the, the electrolyte drops that you can put yep. in the water too. Yep. But so for me, everything about prepping is redundancy. So I'm going to use my reverse osmosis system. As long as the power grid's still on, everything's running yep. smooth. That's all I'm going to use. That goes down. Then I've got the Berkey. That goes out. Then I've got a couple other like hand pump filters that you do for backpacking. The, yep. The, the Catadyne Hiker Pro, I think it's called. I've got two of those. And then if that goes out and I'm down to like my fourth redundancy, I've got life straws. So it's like redundancy, 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 like backup to your backup to your backup. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite 
prepper guy is always says two is one and one is none. Yeah. I love that saying. That's what my husband says too. Nth degree. Like, like how many more freaking pocket knives and, and, uh, headlamps do you need, you know? (laughs) But, uh, you know, my wife gets it. Thank God. Like, you know, she, she sometimes shakes her head at some of the things I buy because I'll buy, you know, 10 of something, but, uh, I'm always like, man, I'd rather have this and then be in a scenario, like a shit hits the fan, a real actual scenario, like grid down scenario and be like, man, I could have bought that for 20 bucks instead of a month of Netflix or whatever. And I could have had that right now when I really need it. So I'm trying to think of like all the different things I could get now while they're available and have them. And worst case scenario is I never use it. Yeah. And I mean, for me too, because we don't have unlimited funds. I don't know about you, but we definitely don't have unlimited funds, but we're not broke either. So, so I, there's many things that I want, but I recognize that we don't, we can't just go out and buy everything. So for me, part of that is also been learning the skills and then having, you know, going to, if I was going to buy something and I could only, I don't know, spend $10 a month, I was only going to get a book. And then it was a book that I was learning all of these skills. Um, a physical thing that if, you know, we didn't have internet or power or whatever, I would still have that reference. It wasn't, I'd have to go online and look it up. That's a great way to do it. Um, and that brings me to the topic of book box drops. Do you guys have any of those in your town? No. Oh, like the mini libraries? Yeah. Just like a little, okay. little, like yeah, a little yeah. station. It's like give a book, take a book. Yeah, yeah. I, I know where all of them are around here and I hit them up like once a month. I've found like medical reference books. I've found... Oh. Like all sorts of things on like how to make your own knives, how to train a hunting dog, like you name it. I've probably found a hundred prepping related books free in those things. And to be fair, I always return books. Like when my wife, she reads a lot of uh, fiction. So when she's done with her fiction books, we put them in there. So it's a give and take, you know, I'm not yeah, yeah. but uh, man, I found so many awesome books in those. That's a great so idea. I would definitely hit those up. And also local small town libraries, typically once a year, we'll do a book sale. Yes. Most of the time they do it, they hand you a bag and say, fill the bag for five bucks. Go to those. Yes. Worst case scenario. So first of all, you can get prepping books. Yep. Another thing you can get are tabletop, um, like coffee table books. And you can take, like, say you find a one, an Audubon one or a Norman Rockwell one. You can cut the pictures out and frame them and flip them. We've done a lot of that too. Like we found a Norman Rockwell book that was like huge. It was like two feet by two feet this big coffee table book. And we cut out the, the more famous pictures, found some frames at yard sales and then sold them for like 25 bucks each, 30 bucks each. That's brilliant. Like a, for like a 50 cent book. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's my wife's idea. She gets the credit on that. Yeah. When I would go to those book sales, cause so I love going to those book sales. Um, I went to one and I specifically went and looked for old cookbooks. That's a good idea. Because, you know, and I don't know about you. Have you ever seen like the churches do like a fundraiser and like everyone will like submit their recipes. Have you ever oh, seen yeah, those sure. cookbooks? Yeah. I grew up in the church. So yeah, I've, been, yeah. I've seen all those. <laughs> so the library had a bunch of those and they were like a quarter. Wow. You know, and and those so are like was, the grandma's secret recipes. And though. those were like the grandma's secret recipes. Like you didn't know what else to make. You know, you had very limited ingredients on hand and it was stuff that like, if you really, really needed to, you could probably cook it over a fire. Sure. So I went and bought, like, I specifically went and found those and they're like, and then I was like buying old copies of like the classics, um, 
you know, Huckleberry Finn, 1984, yep. Yep. Um, all like these things like that. And I go up and the ladies are looking at me and they're like, one of them finally asked you, like, these aren't typical books that someone your age would buy. <laughs> Like, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yep. And, you know, and when I don't wear makeup or anything, I can look early 20s. Easy. Sometimes mistaken for a high school student. And I was just like, oh, I just want to preserve history. Yeah. And they're like, so they're good okay. Have. Yeah. I, I mean, part of that would be also collecting any book that you think might be canceled at some point too like huckleberry and, finn they already tried to cancel that one for the n-word right and so i was going or that was tom sawyer whatever was whatever tom i don't know whatever yeah. but yeah i was going and buying those books like the older ones that were like super faded you know i was looking at the yep. um year they were printed because i was like those are the ones that i want yeah we found one of our best finds ever was a first edition anne of green gables Ooh. That or no, not Anne of Green Gables. That was my mom's that my that my mom found. We found a first edition Gone with the Wind at nice. a yard sale. We got it for fifty cents and it was awesome. And we looked into selling it, but my wife likes it too much, so we're keeping it. <laughs> so probably one of my favorite classics is To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So. I read that in high school. I think everyone did, right? Yeah, but like I remember everyone in the class hating it. And I was like, this is an amazing book. It was good. I enjoyed it. That was one of the ones that I did enjoy. I liked uh, The Jungle, too, Upton Sinclair's. I didn't read that one. It's basically like the the horrors of the meatpacking industry in the early 1900s, maybe late 1800s. I... Where, like, they were, like, throwing rats into the meat grinder and, like, people were losing limbs. And it was, like, basically it was, um, when I look back on it, it's got a little bit of a commie slant to it. So not Animal Farm? No. Not okay. Animal Farm. This was, uh... I would definitely te- check it out. It's short. I mean, it's like okay. 120 pages. You could read it in a, in a weekend, no problem. And it's one of the high school reads, so it reads quick. But it's pretty good. It, it was very graphic. Like, um, it would be, it, it almost read like propaganda from the unions, which it probably was, where it's like, look at these horrible conditions, and they're, and you know, we need an FDA and we need unions and all this, which I agree. I mean, I'm on the fence on both of those. I don't want to get into the whole political debate about that, but it just read very like. You know, when you want to make a point and you make it as crazy and as extreme as you can. Yes. That's kind of what it was like. And I'm sure a lot of those things happened back then. But, you know, when you read it now, you're like, why are you teaching this to, you know, high school students in the early 2000s? Or I was 80s and 90s. But anyway, definitely read it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I have a bunch of books. They're the biggest pain in the butt to move, though. Yeah. That's why I'm glad we own now. We're not going anywhere until we retire because I've got shelves and shelves. I just built another bookcase because we filled every single bookcase we have in the whole house. So I built my wife a new built-in in the downstairs family room. And that's almost full already. So, but that's, I look at books as a prep, like you were saying, like cookbooks, yep. reference books. I'm into nonfiction and reference. She's into fiction. You know, she's got all the Harry Potters. She's got all the Lord of the Rings. She's got all the... Game of Thrones, like all those major uh, ones. So, like, I look at it like, all right, if shit really does hit the fan someday, I just start blowing through the Game of Thrones books, you know, while I'm sitting here instead of playing on Telegram. Um, the other thing we prep too, as far as entertainment goes, because it's something that a lot of preppers don't think of is entertainment. One is board games. Yep. 
Two is DVDs. Because you can run a DVD on a small lithium battery, like, you know, those little, like, they're kind of like car battery size ones yeah, yeah, yeah. you can plug stuff into and charge your cell phone in an emergency yeah. and all that. On one of those, you could run a small DVD player and a TV for, like, days. So we have a collection of, like, six or 700 DVDs that we've gotten at yard sales, consignment shops, all the old 90s and 80s classics, you know, all the Matrix series and Terminator and, like, all those ones you can name. Yeah, we just grab them whenever we see them for a buck or fifty cents, and we put it. We take uh, for storage sake because that sounds like a lot of space. Just throw away the cover and put them in the uh, DVD case. Okay. So we just have a few DVD cases full, hundreds and hundreds of DVDs. So you know, if thing if the grid's down, we can at least sit around the the fire and enjoy a movie together. You know, that's that's funny. Yeah, and also I'm preserving the DVD can't be changed. They've already shown that if you download a digital copy of something, they could go in and edit a scene out and you'd never know. Yep. Or you would know, but there's nothing you could do about it. Right. Or you could have spent 20 bucks on a DVD on Amazon video. And then one day they decide that this is no good. We can't have people watching this. um, And then it's just gone from your library. So, and those days are coming and I'm sure, I'm sure it's already happened. Oh yeah. Yeah. One thing that we do is, uh, I feel like you can find a lot of, not that everything should come from the dollar store, okay? But, like, <laughs> the dollar store will have, like, those little solar lights. Oh, yeah, sure. For a buck. Okay, now it's a buck 25. But, like, yeah, get some. The store. <laughs> yeah, right. But you can get some of those. Um, <laughs> they sell, like, the little bottles of super glue or epoxy or whatever. Like, yep. so I'll go in and I'll grab one of those. Or So it doesn't have to be, for me, it's just like random stuff that I could see a use for Yep. that's not going to break the bank. Obviously, we have things that are more expensive. We have the Berkey. We have all these other preps. But at the same time, it's this continual thing that's always not spending a million dollars. Yep. And, you know, to be fair, I know I heard you on another podcast that you're like in your early 30s. Yep, or... I'm 31. Okay, so I'm 40, almost 41. So I've got 10 years on you of gathering little things little by little too, you know, like when I was 30, we rented and hired hardly any preps, probably none. So you're ahead of the game where I was in my thirties is what I'm trying to say. I think what happens to a lot of people that are, you know, maybe they live in an apartment or maybe they live with their parents still and they're listening, they're, they're awake. They're listening to the alternative history and, you know, all this kind of stuff we're into. And they're like, I just don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. They might watch these, preppers and these homesteaders that have these just amazing elaborate setups and they have 20 goats and 50 chickens and and solar systems and all this stuff and they they might get discouraged and they're like dude what can i do i can't do all that so i'm always like just start by going to the grocery store and next time you're there grab two cans of soup and put them under your bed and then next time grab another two cans of soup then grab a bag of rice then grab a pack of 24 bottles of water you know and just start putting stuff away loaded up in a closet and before you know it you're going to have like a month's worth of food where you wouldn't even have to leave your house if something were to really bad happen something really bad were to happen sorry (laughs) so i don't know i feel like um i think that needs to be said on podcast more i think the mainstream podcasters are like let me get the most badass prepper homesteader guy i can possibly have and that's what they have on and i think i think people need to hear more from like a practical what can I do in my apartment standpoint? 
so I don't know her in person. I happen to follow her on Instagram. Uh, her name is Rogue Preparedness, R-O-G-U-E Preparedness. And she's basically what you just talked about, like making it simple, um, trying to take the fear out of it, like really basic things, um, simple things that people, actionable things that people can do, trying to like break it down for them. Um, and I've had really good tips from her too. So I love how she makes it manageable because mm-hmm. like you said, there's this spectrum of, oh my gosh, I need to go live in the middle of the woods completely by myself and can be completely self-sufficient right. to, you know, but I'm in an apartment and I can't do any of those things. So I feel like she very much, she's done both. Like she's lived off grid, but like also right now isn't like, and she's renting or something. So she shows mm-hmm. all of these things in between. Um, she has a lot of good information. That's cool. Yeah. I'm glad there's people like that. And I'm sure there'll be more. I mean, yeah. I, I actually remember a story when I first started prepping, I'll tell my backstory if you want my like origin yeah. story. So I was like a super like boomer style conservative when I was in my twenties, I was like, yeah, bomb the shit out of Iraq. Yeah. You know, get them. Like I was like super into that stuff, super into that. I would listen to Glenn Beck and um, Rush Limbaugh and all those guys. Uh, and it was actually, I'm glad I did because Glenn Beck used to, he, 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 his, the way he does his show is it's all fear-based. So it's like, they're coming to get us all the time. Like China's going to come drop an EMP on our heads next week. And, you know, and then he would be like, Oh, buy my, buy my preparedness food and buy all my preps. So he had me living in this like fear state for probably two years. And that's where I started prepping. Like, I remember being like, we got to get stuff now. We got to get food. We got to get everything all loaded up because they're coming. They're coming. We're going to EMP is going to kind of get us. I used to carry a scooter in the back of my truck in case an EMP hit. So I could at least like have a scooter to get back home with my bug out bag. I thought it was a brilliant idea, actually. It's better than walking. But just to show you the level of um, okay, all right. I was at. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I came to came to my senses probably around like 2009, 2010. And I realized the fear state that I was living in. And I realized the reason for it was listening to all these conservative pundits and their nonsense and their, and their fear-based um, programs. And I cut all that out. And, you know, I realized like, I, have, I want nothing to do with the conservative Republican party anymore. And I'm definitely not a Democrat liberal. And I just dis- decided I wasn't going to have a label anymore. I was like, I have beliefs on both sides. I don't want to be called one thing or the other anymore. I don't want to live in this false binary system that they've told us we have to choose a side. And ever since then, I've continued to prep. And I'm I'm grateful for that time of my life because I did get into it, did get into homesteading because of it. But now I do it from a, a place of peace. And I'm not saying I'm never worried about things. Of course I am. But I'm not like freaked out about the big one coming or a comet hitting or anything like that. I, I live more of like... You're not a, chicken little. Right. Exactly. I'm... I'm I've matured since then. I've grown since then. And I've been able to do it from a perspective of, of like rational thinking. Like you've probably seen me say this cause I say it all the time in the, in the telegram chats that the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Yep. The truth or conspiracy community, whatever you want to call it. There's ne- not really a term that I like, but they tend to take some new narrative and run with it to the nth degree. So Q was a perfect example. And um, I can't even think of other ones, but I mean, there's supposed to be one this weekend. Like the world is supposed to end this weekend. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, September twenty fourth. Yeah, 
Um, which if that happens and we record this ahead, then we could be prophetic. But, uh, but anyway, I always find that you got the mainstream narrative and you got the truth or conservative or conspiracy narrative. Yep. And the truth always ends up, I would say in the middle, but probably towards the truth or conservative side or yeah. I keep saying conservative conspiracy, but it's never exactly like these, this, this push that you see in the, in the community. Um, what was a good example we were just talking about in the group? Oh, about um, medicine. Yep. Like yep. there's some that are like, oh, big pharma is bad. So I'm going to never, I'm going to throw away everything modern medicine has ever done. And of course, like that's ridiculous. Like, of course, there's things like, of course, you want to use the natural product first. If you can heal yourself using a natural method, even no medicine at all through intention and mindfulness, of course, you're going to do that first. And then if you can soothe the cut with a essential oil instead of a, neosporin that's better right but then there's also times when modern medicine is the best way to go so to throw it all out i think is is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. agreed and like the way i describe it is um you know i i don't think any amount of essential oils would have cured your club feet or my clubbed hand right exactly like yeah i don't think that at all and do you think i would have want to been awake and not had modern anesthesia to right or I said that word wrong, but you know what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and I've said too, you know, haven't forbid I'm ever hit by a car or something again. Please take me to a trauma bay. Please, you know, I, I want all of the Western medical care. Right. I want and some then, morphine if that happens. Yeah. And then once I'm stable, <laughs> if I choose, I have natural options. Right. But I feel like there's this almost like politics. Like you have to be completely all natural or you're only for Western medicine. Right. And if you even admit that you sometimes taken a leave or a Motrin or heaven forbid you took a round of antibiotics, you're oh, vilified. Yeah, yeah. Or if you happen to use some lavender essential oil on a burn, the doctor looks at you like you have three heads. And I'm like, why? Right. Like, why can't you just choose the... You have to look at it as a case-by-case basis. Yes. Like, like, say you got some nasty wound on your leg from a mountain biking accident. And it's just festering and not healing. And it's been a month and you've tried all the natural things and they're just not working. You probably want to go on a round of antibiotics before you lose your fucking leg. Pardon yeah. my French. Yeah. But, you know, so like there and then and then you're going to want to take the probiotics and the digestive enzymes and things that are, are natural to counteract that. And probably do a cleanse and a flush and a, a gut reset afterwards. But like there are times when that's necessary to to live to to sustain life you know and yeah. of course the stitches argument is obvious like if, yeah if i go get a chainsaw accident i'm going to the hospital and getting stitches but i also want the i also want the numbing stuff when i get the stitches and that's modern medicine you know like i, I don't want to feel them ripping me open with stitches <laughs> numb my arm up you know yep so it kind of goes both ways but and i think you can apply that same logic to practically every uh topic in the conspiracy community. Absolutely. Yeah. It, there's so many people that are, well, Trump is still our president. And then there's people who are like, no, that's totally crazy. Biden's our president. And then if you um, even dare to say, well, I like some things that Trump did, but I'm not like, I don't think he's a savior. Like, oh, well, that means you're a liberal. No, that doesn't mean I'm a liberal. Right. Like, <laughs> it, yeah. like it, they, people want these labels. They want to put you in boxes yep. for everything. And I just go, no. And 
make people angry. Like people call me a, a liberal because I'm like I'm very into nature and I don't and I'm very I'm 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 pro most of the uh, environmental laws. Some of them I find a little ridiculous, but like I'm I'm usually for when they're like, uh, you know, stop drilling here, whatever. You know, I know that gets down a tangent. I mean, I know we need domestic oil. I get it. I get it. But like for the most part, I'm for those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But then I'm also like pro gun and hunting and like on the, very conservative on those things too. And it's 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 like you said, like I don't want to be put in either one of those boxes. But the way the the mass media propaganda pushes people is that if you're not in one of those boxes they get angry at you oh yes they're like it, they're, their heads they're, their heads fry they're like yes well you know i always say my my liberal friends all think i'm a conservative and my conservative friends all think i'm a liberal it's because you know it, but i think that's beautiful about the truth or conspiracy community at large is that we all are kind of i would say most people in those communities are are on the fringe they're the black sheep of the family they're a contrarian by nature. You can't put them into a box. They're skeptics. They're not going to just take your word for it. You know, they're going to read the fine print. They're going to read the labels on the food. You name it. And that's what drew me into it. And that's that's why I'm so into that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I honestly wasn't really into prepping of any sort, really, until COVID hit. Like yeah. I, I was always Got more conservative. <laughs> I was always more conservative, um, more, actually more conservative than my parents. And my parents were always going to be like, how did you end up how you are? Hmm. Like, we never talked to you about politics. We never, I was like, I don't know. I just saw through the bullshit, but I never yeah. also identified as a Republican. Right. Cause that you comes know? with the whole baggage. Right. And so I was just, I had more conservative ideals. Um, and I just, I don't know. And like, but I also used to think the FDA and CDC could do no wrong ever. Right, right. You know, um, they're here to help you, of course. Right. <laughs> do you just but, like assume they had our best intentions in mind? I did. I did. Yeah, I did. I went through that too, for sure. I did. Um, I, I thought all vaccines were good. I didn't understand. I, you know, uh, when I first met my now husband, he started he like brought up something about vaccines and autism. And I literally looked at him and says, don't tell me you're one of those crazy anti-vaxxers. <laughs> and I'll agree you are now. <laughs> and now I am, right? So, but a lot of people I feel like aren't open. They don't have an open mind to learn about something that could contradict their beliefs. Right. Right. It, it, like I said, it, it fries their brain. It yes. makes them angry. Which I always found interesting, like, I mean, you name the topic, Bigfoot, Flat Earth, um, aliens, UFOs, like, everyone, even in the conspiracy community, has one topic that makes their brain fry. Even if they believe all the other stuff, like, oh, the moon landing was fake, and this and that and that, but you mentioned the one thing, and then they flip out. And I just feel like people that haven't woken up yet, they're like that with all the topics. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you can get them on one, but... Yeah, I wonder what my topic is. There's, I don't feel like there's anything that I'm like so dead set on that I'm going to argue with. I know mine because it sets me off every time. Maybe yeah. it would be if anyone who said that there was like tried to argue that there was one specific vaccine that was good. Maybe that yeah. would be it. Yeah, veganism always sets me off whenever. The, okay, I can see that one. Yeah, the vegan would come in and start arguing that we that we shouldn't be eating animals and blah blah blah. That one always I can't help myself. 
but argue with them. And I, I get it. it. It's like, to me, it's like, do whatever you want. Just don't come and lecture me. Fair. And you know, I feel like I, that with a lot of things. Yeah. I think that's fair. Like, I'm not going to say you shouldn't eat the way you eat. Eat however the hell you want. I don't care. But when they come in and start bashing you for the way you eat, calling you all sorts of names, that's when it gets a little annoying. Well, yeah. And that should be with any topic. Yeah. And that does happen a lot. And probably all online discussions are way more combative than they would be in real life yes and that's i think part of the beauty and the part and the problem with with inter- the internet it's like it's so i'm trying to think of a good example of something that is like this but it's like so beautiful and awesome and so horrible and evil at the same time i don't, I don't even I, know i was trying to think of a good it feels very esoteric or very gnostic like okay so here's this one let's hear organ transplants they're a beautiful, wonderful thing. They save mm-hmm. people's lives. But some of the ways in which you can procure an organ can be very shady. Okay, I could see that one. It's it's just that, like, you and I wouldn't be talking right now, right, without the internet. We wouldn't have Telegram. We wouldn't have Facebook and yep. all these things. But, and they're awesome, the way we can communicate and, and share knowledge. And I can look up how to fix my washer on YouTube you know, for free basically and save myself tons of money and learn all sorts of things. But then there's also like the evil side of it with the, the anger and the, um, just the, and how it consumes you, you know? I mean, I, I know we all struggle with looking at our phones too much. Oh yeah. You know, I just want to put it down and go outside and play. But you're like, oh, I just have to, I, have to, I can't, I can't just, I can't stop. I got to read that one more comment or oh, send here, that one more email or. Here's one that just, might piss people off. Let's hear it. Church. Church is a great way to find community. You can, if that's how you want to find God is in a building or your higher deity, whatever that is. However, a lot of people don't like church because it can be very catty, very talking behind your back, very two-faced. Yep. It's very, it can be very double-sided or two-faced or whatever. Church is probably a really good example of that. And, And that's been my experience with church too. Yeah, mine. Yep. I haven't been in probably, I think we stopped going like six years ago, but I went my whole childhood. I, I grew up in almost. I call it like a pseudo cult, like, and my parents weren't really part of it, but I mean, it wasn't really a cult. I just feels like it looking back. So what was their religion? So it's, it's non-denominational fundamental Christian. Okay. So it wasn't a denomination at all, but it was very fundamental, very Stepford like, like nobody ever did any sins ever. And everyone's family is perfect. Like, all the sons have their little suit and tie on and the daughter is all good miss two shoes like all the families were like that so this this it was like a whole town full of this so like people moved to this town specifically for this church was it pentecostal nope not pentecostal okay we, they, 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 they were way too fundamental for that like they didn't even like lift their hands when they were singing or anything like hands at your oh, side okay. okay no dancing like very staunch very conservative um but people like literally the whole town were members of this church and the the school was run by the church and like my parents were different because they weren't part of it my dad has tattoos and he's kind of a more of like an ex-hippie kind of guy but they were like oh we're gonna put them in these things to help them 
grow up in the church and all that be stuff. better so they were, people or whatever right yeah so they put us in the private school at this thing and we they sent us off to these this church and everything but they weren't like that really like my parents are cool and they'd swear and we'd watch rated our movies and stuff so it wasn't like in our house wasn't like that but the whole all my friends and all their friend all my friends parents were were into this cult thing and it was really weird and man if you could see the the repercussions i could tell you so many stories of the, those kids i was talking about the perfect little kids with quotes what they grew up into because of like it was a very guilt driven denomination like you were just meant to feel guilty about everything all the time like you were never good enough you're never worthy for god and you should just feel horrible about thinking of anything bad and like it was one of those things where some music could be bad so no music some dancing could be bad so no dancing some movies could be bad so no movies like people would sneak into movie theaters and hope that the church leadership didn't see them at the movie or like it's driving like, into the parking lot. It's like footloose to the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm serious. Like kids would like sneak in Walkmans like underneath their clothes and like have a head, like have their headphones on. Like, cause if they were caught listening to music, it was like punishment, like music, just any music. Like if you were caught like touching a girl on the shoulder, you were in trouble. Like you had, we had like a six foot rule for the opposite sex all the time. Like so like, how did they do like, school dances? Or they didn't? Yeah, well, pff, no. Oh, that, that's right. No dancing. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. No way. Oh man, they would be like out there with their crosses and pitchforks if there was a school dance. Oh man. No, you weren't even allowed to like be like you weren't allowed to make physical contact with a member of the opposite sex ever. Like it was crazy. It fucked me up, definitely, until I grew up and went to college and realized that the world wasn't like that. But yeah, I went down a whole other rabbit hole that I wasn't expecting. But Listen, yeah, no. <laughs> I love it. No, this is why I was like, we don't script things. Also, the one thing that I'm supposed to script, though, quote, is oh, yeah. tell me two favorite things about yourself or two things that you love about yourself. Oh, yeah. I thought about this all day, too, after you told me those questions. I would say one thing is I... I and I've done this since I was a little, I was always really good at including the quiet person in social situations. And I still do that to this day. Like if I'm at a sales meeting or a trade show, or a, if I'm visiting one of my accounts, if there's like a quiet, shy person, I always try to like include them in the group. I like that. Yeah. So that's something I like about myself. And I like that I am a jack of all trades, master of none. So I know the saying can go either way. Like, jack of all trades master of one yeah or it can go mass uh, jack of all trades master of none i'm definitely the master of none like i can do so many different things proficiently but mm-hmm. i don't have one focus i think it's because of my add like i've never been able to like master something mm-hmm. i get bored of it and want to do something else like i'm a decent woodworker and i can weld and i can do some plumbing and i can draw a little bit and i can play a little basketball, play a little baseball, play a little soccer. Like I can yep. do a whole bunch of stuff proficiently, which I kind of like, cause I can kind of like jump in with different groups and, yep. and hang. So that's the other thing I like about myself, but that I was, love that. it was hard to come up with things. Cause I feel like I'm going to come across as like braggadocious. Like here's all the things I love about myself. Oh. I know. And, but like, <laughs> And so I say this to everyone because everyone's like, oh, it's so hard. I'm like, but I bet you if I asked you right now, tell me two things you love about your wife or two things that you love about your kid, you could totally do that and do it like that. Yeah. But so often, like, and I'm guilty of this too, is 
we have a really hard time complimenting ourselves. And so I like asking this question. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good one for sure. I mean, I, it, it, it sat with me. Like you, you told me about it last week and I yep. thought about it for a couple of days and then I forgot. And then you mentioned it this morning. I was like, oh shit, I was supposed to do that. I had homework. I forgot about my homework. <laughs> but yeah, I was driving to get some groceries earlier and I was like, all right, so I got to come up with a couple. So that's what I came up with. No, I like those. I like those. Yeah, it's sometimes I feel bad and I'm like, I forget to tell people until like right before I hit record. Oh, yeah. And they're like, uh. Yeah, and they're like, what? And I was like, uh, sorry. And then other times, like, I tell them two weeks before and it, it, it just, whatever. It works. I like that my son inherited that. So the whole, like, including the quiet kid. So yep. we've heard from all of his teachers without fail 100% of the time that he, the like, you know, I'll have parent teacher conferences or whatever. And the teacher's always like, your son is so good. He's like, this one quiet kid, Joey or whatever. Yeah. He loves Jed and he's always smiling when he sees him and he's finally talking and hanging out with the other kids now. And he's like really good. Funny that you mentioned autistic, autistic kids. He's really good with autistic kids for some reason. Like we've had mothers like come up to us in tears and being like, Aww. my son loves your son. And he finally has a buddy and someone to talk to. And, and it was like, we had no idea. Like, this is just something he does on his own when we're not around. So it's really that cool. must have made your I don't know. He calls you dad, daddy, papa, whatever heart feels so good. Like it does. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's a good boy. He's a very sweet, innocent little boy. Like I'm just trying to hold on to that as long as possible before the yes. world corrupts him. Yes. We'll see what I can do. Just keep him in the woods. That's what I do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We have, a, we have an outdoor rule. So you have to go outside every single day, no matter what, uh, 365. Okay. If it's snowing, get your snow gear on. If it's raining, get your rain jacket on. So, like, yeah, we just, I mean, even if it's just going for a little walk, looking for mushrooms or taking the chickens out or anything, even if it's 15, 20 minutes, as long as you get outside once a day. I'm okay. Not, sometimes it's six hours, you know. I know there's people who, there's like this concept, it's called like the thousand hours outside. Have you heard of that? No, but that, yeah, I could see that being awesome. <laughs> and basically, if for their goal for the year is to be outside for a thousand hours. How many hours are in a year? Uh, I'm going to do some quick math. I know, right? 24 times. You got it? Okay. 8,760. Okay. So, yeah, one eighth of the time, basically. Yeah. Minus sleeping. So, half the time, basically. Yeah. So if you're well, I guess late... sleeping isn't quite 12 hours. Yeah. If you go, so 16 times 365 is 5,840. Okay. That's cool. So that's like a couple hours a day. Yeah. I like it. That's a really good rule. I don't think I get that that much. Oh no, I definitely okay. don't get that much. I'm probably in the five, 600 hour though. I'd say I'm outside a lot more than everyone else in my family though. Like just with the garden and the chickens and like I do all the outdoor labor so my wife and I have a pretty, I wouldn't even call it unspoken. It's pretty spoke, it's pretty well-spoken uh, rule about like who does what chores. And like, we've like, I haven't vacuumed in like 10 years. Like I just don't like she does that. And I like take down trees and split it and keep the wood stacked and keep the wood place going and clean the chimney and mow, clean the chicken coop. And you have uh, traditional gender roles. We have very traditional gender roles. So do my husband and I, like, I'm yeah. not mad about that. But Some like, people, someone's going to be mad about that, but whatever. And there's certain things that we both do. Like whoever puts the last piece of garbage in, takes the garbage out. Whoever 
whoever opens the dishwasher after it's done running for the first time puts all the dishes away. But she does it more than I do. But um, just things like that. There's things we yeah, both yeah. do. And I cook dinner every single night. So that we're, we're definitely not gender role on, on dinner or on cooking in general. But yeah, for the most part, we have our own gender roles. Are there, going back to your, it's misophonia, right? Is how you misophonia. say it? Misophonia, yep. Is there any outdoor noises that bother you? Or are they only like other human or human made noises? Um, sometimes if something's like really repetitive for long periods of time, like it could even be a bird call. But if okay. it just like makes the same noise for like 20 minutes. Or like a woodpecker or something? That doesn't bug me so much, but I know people that it does. Okay. Um, one of the universal things that we all love the sound of universally is water flowing. Okay, so, like, I can see that. I actually, we have a creek that goes through our property, but it's kind of between a river and a creek. It's bigger than a creek, smaller than a river. Like it's up to your chest or so and okay. 20 feet across. So it flows year round. Um, we have a little like waterfall area in the back where it like tumbles over some rocks. And sometimes if I'm feeling stressed or triggered, I'll just go sit there and just like listen to that water flow. Uh, and there's a lot of people that have misophonia that live near beaches and they'll just go to the beach and listen to the waves crash. And that like helps. It just kind of calms them down. Um, but it's, I, I would say universally to go back to it universally, it's mouth noises. Okay. Chewing, crunching, spitting, hacking, all those kind of things. Like when somebody like clears their nose over and over and over. Yeah. The people want to like choke a bitch. <laughs> like, yeah. That one's not so, so much for me, but I know that's a big one for most people. So like the reason I was asking about like different cultures and ethnicities and stuff is I know that there's parts of Africa that their language is like basically clicking noises. Oh yeah. That would drive me insane. And so I wonder... For many you know, reasons, I'm never going to Africa, but that's one of them. <laughs> but, like, I, there's tribes that, like, they communicate through, like, clicking noises. Yeah, and, yeah. But, you know, you had mentioned it tends to be more of a... Or seems to be more of a modern or whatever thing. So I don't think it would be there. But it'd be interesting how... If it tends to be mouth noises, if someone in that type of environment had it, like, could they just not be around, like, people who spoke their language? Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I actually did hear an interesting theory on it from somebody in one of the forums. Okay. They were saying, like, what if um, back in caveman days, if you even want to believe that's a thing, well, let's say tribal um, hunter and gatherer days. Okay. What if it was a, actually a, a bred for trait because loud chewers would draw attention from predators? Like if somebody's crunching and smacking and stuff, the other tribe could hear them. So it's like it was uh, beneficial to chew very quietly, and you would be, you know, smacked if you were chewing too loud. So maybe it like some sort of like deep I mean, genetic recess recessive trait is coming out where we're like, you're gonna you're gonna get us all killed if you keep chewing like that. And that's where that fear flight or flight uh, fight or flight response comes from. Interesting. Yeah, or the enemy could hear us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's no, I've talked to uh, military guys that say, like, you don't chew gum, you don't smoke cigarettes, anything that could draw attention to the enemy when you're out. Yeah, there, yeah, Like, that you get, you, your buddies would beat the crap out of you if you did it. So, you know, could be related to that, too. That's a very interesting theory. I could see that. Yeah, I like that one. Sounds very Neanderthal-like. Yeah. Listen, I don't claim to know the truth on anything i just like to entertain a lot of different theories so i find that one interesting 
Yeah, me too. Yeah, that one's the, the most fun, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach, I appreciate you chatting with me tonight and sharing some of your time. Uh, you had said I can put the, your Telegram and then the Telegram group about like homesteading and stuff in the show notes. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And I'll share it if you're okay with that. Yeah, please. So I think it's, I know it's public. So if you go on Telegram and you search homesteading, prepping, and survival, and you spell out the word and, that should bring you to the page. The logo is a shovel, a rifle, and a chicken, all okay. silhouette. So you okay. should be able to pop right in. Join us. Um, yeah. Well, and basically the group is beginners, intermediates, and experts. And we all just share different advice, you know. People ask a question, everyone jumps in to share their advice. That's kind of how it's uh, formatted. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about everything from gardening to canning to, hey, my tooth hurts, what can I do for it? Hey, I have a canker sore. Uh, Hey, I have a burn. Uh, Water storage. Like, all the things. All the things. you name it. And the idea there is that if you ask a question, somebody in there is going to be skilled and be able to share. Yes. And if you don't know, then don't don't say anything. <laughs> yes, yes. Or just sit back and learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's not one of those groups that, like, you're constantly spammed with messages either or, like, useless information or spammy yep. articles. Like, it's not like that at all. So, Well, I, I fixed that by, I don't know if you know my rule in there, you can't share a link without sharing your own personal commentary on the link. Okay. So that eliminates a lot of people just, like, kind of mass forwarding crap that happens on Telegram a lot. So if somebody does, I'm like, dude, you got to like, at least like say, I shared this link because I thought this was interesting or blah, 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 blah. Just okay. that little extra step keeps people from doing it. So I like it. I like it. But because I'd still want people to be able to share a link if they want to. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Zach. And to everyone listening, I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful night.